I'm here today with Drew Curtis, who is the the single owner of Fark.com. And um, Drew's one of Drew's most interesting things is the volume of traffic he gets. Maybe Drew, do you want to tell us a little bit about your site and who you are for those who haven't uh, heard from you before? Yeah, we're essentially they finally came up with a name for it. They're calling it a news aggregator now, and I, I guess that's about as close as we have been before. Uh, I'm trying to horn us into the social networking circle as well, but I keep telling people that we're Web 3.0, which is uh, good editing. Uh, take your user submissions, but then uh, have somebody actually go through and vet them because uh, not everything everybody sends in is worth actually reading. Yeah, you've been called a blog for a long time. Yeah, and we really weren't. I was more than happy to let people, you know, continue to call us that, but you know, no, we're not really blog. And, and a news aggregator sounds like a more realistic term. Um, yeah, what's interesting about what you're doing is that you run it pretty much by yourself, and then um, you want to talk about your traffic volume. Yeah, uh, we're up to 52 or 53 million page views in the last 30 days, which is 25% higher than last year. Uh, uniques in the audience are about three and three quarters million. And so this is traffic then that you drive um, from your house in, you live in Kentucky, don't you? Yep, that's right. And so you just you just drive it out of your house and it's mainly driven by public relations, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, another interesting stat, traffic-wise, that most people don't consider because it isn't really an issue for most places is that um, we're also sending sending out about 50 million paid views a month that we don't get. Those don't get credited to us, but they go they land on other sites, mostly mainstream media sites. Right. Okay. Um, so you get your 53 million page views a month, and that's so three and a half million uniques, right? And those, I mean, so you got this started by, well, actually, maybe, why don't you talk a little bit about how you got it started, how the traffic volume has grown, and, and, and how you keep it going, because the whole radio thing is a little unusual in that model, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it started out, I was uh, spending most of my mornings goofing around, reading funny news stories, and finding the occasional one and emailing it to friends of mine. Uh, and then after a while, I started to suspect they might be getting annoyed by all this email I was sending out, so I decided, okay, the heck with this, then I'll go ahead and uh, just put this up on a website, and I told them if you guys are still interested, you are more than welcome to continue reading on the website, and that's literally how it started. The way that it grew, though, uh, over time was uh, through a combination of publicity and just not sucking. Uh, I always tell people you can't really lose your audience without actually pissing them off. Uh, and the way we gained it over time was uh, uh, I doing the occasional radio interview to start, um, did, a, did uh, a spot weekly on Tech TV for about a year and a half, and uh, none of those things actually generated a lot of traffic by themselves, but it was the, the continuing the repetition over time that made all the difference. So you were on Tech TV, so you were what a... A regular person that that you got interviewed or you did interviewed and 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 then say so that have your branding in front of people over a period of time. Yeah, they would uh, have me on every Friday and I would uh, go down the three weirdest, uh, usually tech-oriented stories of the week. But I think we started drifting after a while because usually the weirdest stories of the week weren't usually tech-related. It was one of those things too where you, I mean, I don't know what tech TV's ratings were. I do talk to a lot of people that saw me on there. In fact, I was down in Memphis this weekend and talked to somebody who had seen me on there back in the day. So I don't know that, you know, like I said, I don't remember even seeing any traffic spikes from uh, those guys online after doing it. But what I did notice was is that in a week when I did tech TV, and this is back when the traffic was much lower, uh, in a week when I did the show, our traffic would rise slightly. Not a lot, but just a little bit. And in a week when I didn't do the show, it would remain flat. So it was obvious over time that they were definitely gaining viewers from it. It just wasn't clear as to how many. But I think that, again, it was the consistency. It was the doing it nonstop. People don't generally check out websites the first time they hear about it, which is, you know, uh, you'll see these, you know, the occasional uh, billboards or spot ads or whatever. People will go check them out about the 20th or 30th time they see it. So what you're talking about here is almost uh – like the, uh, a success of branding, like you've actually branded your way into building all this traffic. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, our, our traffic stats show that as well. Very little of our traffic is actually coming from uh, search. Uh, we're actually, I think it's something like less than 1.5% of our traffic is coming from Google, uh, and about 65% of it is coming, people are just typing the name in or have it bookmarked and are coming straight there. So does this mean your site ongoing and is, is dependent on, on you doing interviews? I mean, if you stop, will your traffic just slowly decline? 
Uh, I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, I think it just won't go up anymore. It'll stop, basically. It'll stop dead, and uh, that'll be the end of it. But, uh, well, not necessarily. I guess there's always word of mouth, too, but we noticed that, I mean, in order to lose readers, you have to actively irritate them. So uh, unless you do that, as long as you keep the quality up, you're not likely to lose them, and you probably still gain through word of mouth. It just happens to word out, work out. And so yeah, you mentioned like you get a, an increase in traffic when you when you were running on. Like, are you able to to quantify that at all, or you just see a bump? I mean, what are you talking like a five percent bump or a ten percent? Is it a hundred thousand visitors? Well, back when we were doing uh, Tech TV initially, we didn't have that much traffic. But right now, I mean, we've had situations where I got mentioned in Time Magazine. I've been in like two or three times. I can't tell any appreciable difference in the traffic. I'm sure it's probably generating something like ten thousand page views, but. Our daily number rotates from somewhere between 1.8 to 1.9 million, uh, up to as high as maybe 2 to 2.1. And so if you get an extra 10,000 from something, it's probably lost in the wash. But that's just us today. I mean, uh, for example, I was sitting around doing a radio interview up in uh, Indiana where uh, the guy had never heard of Fox before, but he was talking about how big the show I was on. It's uh, Bob and Tom, which was like 125, 150 affiliate markets. And he said, if you go check your web stats later on today, you're going to see two or 3,000 hits. You know, which, uh, you know, I didn't tell him that I wasn't going to be able to see that because of the traffic we already have. But at the same time, that's still a significant amount of traffic for somebody who doesn't have any. And so at what point did you realize that this was actually working to drive traffic to your website? Because that obviously wasn't the strategy in the beginning, or was it? No, it wasn't actually. Um, the real thing was it was to try to just get practice because I was hoping at some point to, you know, be the regular person that could do stuff like that and go on, you know, shows or whatnot and uh, do that. So that was the original purpose of it. What ended up happening was I accidentally ended up doing a classic branding approach without knowing what I was doing. Hmm. And so how long, how long after you'd started doing that did you realize, well, hey, this is actually working and I need to keep doing it? It was actually quite a while I passed it, actually. I think I'd, I'd done Tech TV for a year before we noticed. Uh, and so it was one of those things where, but it always, it, it seems to be the case. It's like conventional wisdom, for example, that if you can get a five-minute spot on CNN at any given time, for example, that it's going to work out a lot better for you than any kind of advertising you could possibly do. Because people generally ignore advertising, but they don't ignore news. Right. And And I guess in your case, you hadn't promoted the site anywhere else, had you? So it was a kind of a no-brainer as to where all the traffic was coming from. Yeah, because uh, at that point, they were the only guys that were, were having me on. Uh, it was one of those deals where uh, even back then, most North American radio stations were using FARC as a morning show resource, but absolutely nobody was giving us credit. Now we get uh, some, I don't know, a decent amount of uh, credit, but it still could be better. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, have you heard of anyone else that's doing this in the way that you are? No, no. Um, uh, I, I think that other than like it's your it's your classic publicist approach. If you have like a C list celebrity client, you'd probably be trying to do this stuff. But they have different methods and whatnot. And they understand it. Like I said, it was one of those things where I just kind of accidentally backed into it. wasn't really attempting to do this, but it ended up working out. And then when I turned around and looked back and saw the path, it was like, okay, well, this is obvious. Yeah. Right. So for someone that's got a site that they're they're making sales and or doing you know internet type stuff, how would you recommend they do what you're doing? Is it something that adds value? I mean, even if they can't initially see results. Yeah, like um, uh, it, it is uh, over time. Again, it's like one of those things where because one appearance isn't going to do it, you need to have twenty or thirty. Uh, and so, for example, you see on local TV, you'll have people that you know join a, a, a doctors will do a you know a doctor segment where they'll have some specialist come in from the local, you know, uh, municipality to talk about, you know, whatever anybody's questions may happen to be. And in reality, this is really just an ad for that person's practice. Um, to take it a step further, uh, there are certain uh, tricks of the trade you can do in order to get uh, newspapers and magazines and TV to pick up stories about products. But the trick is is that they won't take a straight ad, and they sure as hell won't take it if it's not exceptionally different from anything anybody else is doing. So in order to get any kind of publicity, you have to throw them a curveball. Right. Fair enough. Um, I'm looking at your Alexa rank. I notice your Alexa rank today is like 2,100. Let's see, 2,157. 
And yeah, it's been going down pretty steadily for the last year and a half, which is bizarre considering our traffic keeps going up. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. Because when when we first talked, I talked to you like a year and a half ago or so. Your Alexa rank was like 800 or something, and so it's been going yep. down. Back then, you were getting um, about a million page views a day. You said it was, I think, between yep. a million to two million, and now you're, yeah, you're really touching on the the two million a day as an average. Yeah, it's gone up. I don't really understand how Alexa works exactly. Like to give you an example, uh, I've been saying is uh, Michael Arrington over at TechCrunch was saying that that his site gets six million page views a month, mm-hmm. and uh, their Alexa ranking is something like three hundred or something, and. I, I have absolutely no explanation for it. It baffles me. I mean, Alexa is not a scientific tool when you get right down to it. It is kind of odd that they're that different, though. It doesn't make any sense. No, in, in that case, I, I, that makes sense to me because what he's doing, his, his readership of people are more likely to have the toolbar installed because they're... Yeah, well, probably so. Our, our readership is a lot more mainstream. I mean, they're still fairly intelligent, but they're a lot more mainstream and not as tech-centric. Yeah, which makes sense. But it, what, what's surprising is that yours has dropped so much. I thought that they, they were kind of working that stuff out, but... Yeah, I mean, you, you've got your stats. I remember you even showed me your stats, and you would, at that time you were definitely doing one to two million a day. Yeah, and well, what's weird about it is I don't really know how they're tracking it necessarily, but like one of the reasons we've seen explosive growth in the social networking uh, sector really isn't because, and this is a mistake that a lot of people make when they read about it, isn't because it's a good idea necessarily. It's because it generates a phenomenal amount of page views. That at the when you take away everything else, at the end of the day, that's what really is driving the interest in this, and because they're selling page, you know, ads based on the thousand page view model, uh, that is of, of extreme interest. It's one of those deals where, for example, people will make the mistake of thinking that just because somebody is extremely wealthy, they must be intelligent. It's not necessarily the case. Uh, so you'll see things, for example, like on Facebook, which they just changed this recently, uh, where, for example, if somebody wants to friend you and you click on it to say, okay, authorize them, it takes you to another page which says, where did you meet this person? Well, you don't need to have another page in there, but by adding that extra page, that's another page view, and I can only assume that that kicks your election rank up. So, for example, like on a social networking site, say like Dig, where you vote on articles, our average person shows up on FARC and reads about two pages. The average person shows up on, say, Facebook and will go through about 100 of them. Uh, it's still the same user and it's still the same uh, stuff, but they've also been noticing that the quality of the page views on social networking sites is pretty bad. Uh, I was talking to Starcom out in L.A. when we were talking to uh, about them muttering advertising. They represent Disney and a few other folks. And they were saying that the value of the page views on Facebook and MySpace was pretty bad because people tend to just kind of rip through there while they're doing stuff. They're adding friends. They're just, you know, cruising around. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, even uh, Comscore has recently made a significant change in the way they rank sites. Now they're looking at doing it based on time per page, not number of page views. Um, and the minute that that change went through, all of a sudden Facebook went from having a separate page for where did you know this person to all of a sudden it's a drop-down box now. They changed it that quickly. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, you'll see these little, like, the way that these sites are designed. Like, for example, um, anytime you see, like, a top 10, top 50 list or whatever on a news site, you'll see, especially when it involves pictures, and especially when it involves pictures of hot chicks, they will put one per page, no thumbnail uh, advance. So basically, if you wanted to go see who got number one, you have to go all the way through all 50 of them in order to generate all that traffic. You know, uh, we, don't, we don't do any of that stuff, so that's probably driving us downward. You know, and, and like just as a, a related point, I was looking, I, I hardly read magazines anymore, and I was just looking at one magazine, I forget what it was, I was in the airport and just, just looking through some magazines, and just noticing that to get to the table of contents, and I just hadn't seen this for ages, but that to get to the table of contents, I had to flick through like six pages of ads, and it wasn't even clear where it was. It was kind of like it was buried. And I was like, yeah, actually, that, it was. in an advertising where there's popovers and all this other stuff to try and increase ad impressions. Yeah, that's actually a value add when you go and sell to branded advertisers. That's what you say. You say where that spot right in front of the table of contents is worth more money because you're going to be poking around trying to find the damn thing, and you're going to be going past their ads in the process. They actually charge more money for that positioning, and that's why there's so many ads right there. Yeah, right. So it's not, it's not, it's it's the same business model, just in a different media, and this is how they've adapted it to the internet. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, these things have been around for a while. It's no big deal whatsoever. My only problem is, is that I keep asking, having people ask me, why is our traffic going down based on Alexa's numbers? And it's just kind of annoying to me because our traffic's actually up twenty five percent. Yeah. So, what do you do? You can have you look found something that's more accurate than than Alexa, like uh, compete or? Um, I mean, have you found something better? 
for us, no. Uh, there's a, we're, we're kind of behind the eight ball on this uh, because there are, our, our traffic comes from two main sources. It's people who are reading at work and people who are reading at colleges. And the problem is, is that a lot of this stuff that is more accurate uh, requires the individual to install this stuff on their browser, and that's why sites that track the uh, uh, you know uh, installed stuff like the way Alexa works uh, probably rank FARC a lot lower than they should because they don't see people coming in from work. Most people work in work environments where their computers are locked down and they don't have the option to install this stuff, which is good. But you lose all of those people for terms of metrics. Uh, the other thing which is really interesting is, is that um, Quadcast is one that we've been using. You can install code on your page and have it run. Uh, and just the same way you can do with Google Analytics, but Quadcast allows you to actually link to it and show people what the traffic is. And it's interesting the difference between Quadcast and Google Analytics because Quadcast and Google are both saying that we're getting the same number of page views, but Quadcast is undercounting the unique by 1.5 million or... Google is overcounting it, and uh, they're basically looking at the same information and making different determinations about what's going on. What, is, what are you talking about, um, Google Analytics, and what was the other one? Quantcast. It's a Q-U-A-N-T-C-A-S-T. It's basically like Alexa, but it, they, so what they do is they, if you are using their code, they just guess at what your site traffic is. We hooked up to it because it was so far off, it was ridiculous. So we went ahead and plugged their code into our page, and they they got the page views are identical to Google's, but the uniques are about a million and a half different for whatever reason. So I can look. Okay, let me. What's interesting about Quadcast is is that I've been looking at it, and I've been told that that one's fairly easy. A lot of server farms that will come from Asia and whatnot in order to like drive people's election rankings up. And you can kind of tell this is going on if you look at percentage of, uh, especially for U.S. sites, percentage of traffic from the United States. For example, I think Digs is something like on the order of 23% or something like that. Oh, no, that's heavy.com, for example. You know, 23% of the U.S., it's interesting to point out that as far as advertisers are concerned, those are the only page views that are worth anything. They don't give a rat's ass about the other 77% that are coming to a site. They, they won't even, in fact, every advertising contract you get will require you to geotarget down to the United States only because they don't want to go outside of it. So this is fascinating. So Quantcast, then, you put their tracking code on your site, and I'm looking at quantcast.com slash farc.com. And and so they've then gone in and, like, I mean, you you opened up your Google Analytics stats for me a long time ago. They've actually opened these stats up to all users so that users can see uh, from a a third-party independent metric on, on how the stats actually break down. Yep, exactly. And so it, it works exactly the same way. Like I said, it's interesting that the page views are reported identically, but the uniques are counted separately. I mean, obviously it just means that they're looking at the same information, but they've made different determinations about what constitutes a unique hit. And and so what, what, do you see that this the, their stats are accurate, or are there inaccuracies in it? The, the page views are, but what I'm also seeing is I'm seeing the same thing happening with Quantcast that's happening with Alexa, which is as more people discover it, uh, the the rank that we had, like we started out around 500 on that thing, we're started being we're being driven down now again. Like I think we're closing in on a thousand and dropping. And uh, there are a few sites out there that I know are completely faking all of their traffic that are getting ranked up in the in the upper like you know two digits. So it's not foolproof by any stretch, but it's just one of those things you know that you can look at to get kind of a better idea of what's going on. In general, these things only provide a relative guess at how you're doing. Uh, they don't they're not very accurate at all. Yeah, I mean, saying that you're 2,157. Where do you think? What do you think your real Alexa would be? Uh, I have no idea. That's a good question. The problem is, is that I don't know how, how they're ranking it. I mean, if it's just straight up page views, that's one thing. But there's an argument that could be made that straight up page views isn't worth anything. When your site is being valued, they actually look at the uniques. Uh, and in particular, when advertisers, mainstream advertisers, are looking at you, they aren't looking at buying page views as much as they want to know how big is your audience. They don't really care about the number of pages you got. Hmm. All right, interesting stuff. All right, let's move on. Um, monetization is an interesting part of your site, and you've, you've started handling this uh, differently. You had a deal with Federated Media. You, you, you have people helping you with your remnant inventory. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you do it and, and, and sort of where you're going with that? Yeah, um, well, Federated Media is basically a, a, a group of folks that they kind of basically, they, you outsource your sales basically to them. Uh, and they do a pretty good job, actually. Uh, we've kind of moved away from them uh, in recent years due to something called channel conflict. 
we uh, we we were approached by Maxim Magazine, which used to be Dennis Digital's group, and now I think they're calling themselves Alpha Media. And it's basically Maxim Blender and stuff. And we were approached by them, and they basically said, look, how about we'll do the same thing for you, but we'll only do you. We're not going to start a network. We're not going to go out and get anybody else. It'll be you and the three of us, and then that's it. So that was a much more attractive deal, mainly because the the drawback with Federated Media was is that, you know, they have a number of other clients. I think they have something like 150 member sites that they're paying attention to, and salespeople aren't the most attentive people in the world, so getting attention over there is difficult. Whereas if you're the uh, sole client, essentially, like we are with Maxim, then uh, it's a much better deal. And basically what they do is they go out and they try to get the branded advertising, which is only pay for a 1,000 impressions. No pay-per-click, no pay-per-performance, just straight-up trade juice. And, and, and so what kind of uh, clients did Federated Media bring in and, and then now Maxim? Federated Media did pretty good. I'm trying to think. They had a few A-listers. I mean, it was like, it was, it's good stuff. Uh, Fortune 500 companies for the most part. Maxim does a bit of a better job on it, mostly because uh, Federated Media is located out in Silicon Valley. Most of their uh, authors are tech-oriented. And since they're in Silicon Valley already, obviously they've got a better reach into tech companies. And so you, they end up spending a lot more time working on those. Maxim is targeting more of the, the male-type audience, your, your automotive, your beer, your, you know, anything that guys might consume. And, of course, that's a much better fit for us than the tech audiences. So, for example, we've had um, uh, some pretty good deals out there. Uh, I think we had, uh, I'm trying to think, we had a couple of vodka ones recently. Uh, Kawasaki took out an ad, Old Spice. You know, stuff that people have actually heard of before. To me, that was extremely important because the quality of ads on your site actually impacts the, what, how people perceive the quality of your overall site is which is really bizarre. For example, if you go look at the Drudge Report, you'll be lucky if you see anything other than mortgage ads. And that doesn't, like, you know, give you a real good impression of the site. But if you saw, say, you know, Burger King up there all the time, you'd be thinking, wow, this guy's probably been pretty good. Yeah, right. And what kind of CPM rates do you get for advertising on your site? You know, I don't know. Uh, Maxim's handling that, and I haven't got any idea. In general, what they do is, and this mystifies me because I'm not a salesperson, so it doesn't make any sense to me, but basically they go in a meeting, they just basically have these uh, ephemeral arguments, which is you know, which is kind of akin to, you know, having arguments about you know the whole meaning of life thing, because their arguments are based on nothing other than trying to convince the other guy that they should be paying X amount of money. Uh, so it's really kind of bizarre to me, but it's one of these things that you know it's a mechanism that's been in place now for 150 years and not going away anytime soon. So that's just how it works. And so have the checks gotten bigger since you've been working with Maximum or Media? Yeah, it, it's finally it's finally starting to get there. I mean, it's not like as far as like you know our upper level of uh, where we could get to. We're still a long ways from that. But as far as like you know from the beginning, it took about a year. It actually took a closer to like 15 months before uh, we started getting any kind of traction at all on the advertising because of the way that these branded advertisers work. And it's it's kind of simple if you think about it. Uh, it. It can be summed up in an old saying you hear in tech circles all the time, which is nobody ever got fired for buying Microsoft which comes from an older saying, which was nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, and I'm sure it goes back farther than that. But the upshot of it is is that if you're a media buyer and you have clients, which are basically uh, companies, because the companies themselves don't do the advertising, they sub it out. So you have these clients that will basically want to know, where did you place their ads? And you can safely say New York Times, Washington Post, and they're not going to bat an eye. But if you say FARC, and they haven't heard of it, they're, or, or worse, they're not happy about that, then you're in trouble. So what they tend to do more often than not is is they'll take a very large advertising budget, dump it all on one very safe mainstream site, and then be done with it. So the challenge of working with Maxim for the first 15 months was convincing them it was a good idea, convincing these advertisers that they're not going to be screwed, that it will work, it will perform, nobody's going to fire them, most importantly, and basically building the brand up so that when they think Maxim, they think FARC also being on par. And after that happens, then you start getting a little traction where first they, they try to do some sample buys. They do a little bit of goofing around. They'll, they'll you know, test the waters a bit first before they start you know, putting larger and larger quantities of money in. And so far, we're just kind of at that sampling stage right now, but it's encouraging because it's, it's definitely picking up. How do, how do those guys decide like what, 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 what is a sample that actually works and what doesn't? I think, as far as I can tell, it's completely arbitrary. I really can't tell because the salespeople are attempting to try to get the sample size up because that gets the money up. Uh, I really don't see any standard uh, level of that across the board. I mean, I've seen it as few as 5,000 page views and as many as you know 100,000. I mean, it's, you know, it just doesn't seem to make any difference one way or the other. It's bizarre. 
Because, I mean, a, a lot of this, you, you, as I understand, your site generates a lot of volume, but the advertising on it doesn't generate very high click-throughs, right? Well, it depends. Uh, we have simultaneously the uh, we have the records for the best and worst click-through rates ever, and it just really depends on the advertising. Some of the advertising does amazingly well, and some of it bombs amazingly badly, and so it's really bizarre. Basically, whenever they rank the performance, because, you know, they're selling these ads on Maxim Blender and stuff also, we're either the number one or the number four as far as the uh, click-through for uh, enterprise. Do you, I mean, do you care? Like, let's say if you get an ad that comes on that takes, uh, does really well with click-throughs, do you care given that that's taking away click-throughs from the rest of the site? Uh, well, it depends. Not really, because when you get to the level of advertisers that we're dealing with, they're more concerned with branding. They want to make sure that people see it, and they're just using click-through as a way to gauge the effectiveness of the advertisement. They're not really as concerned so much with uh, how many people actually go. For example, one of the things that we've been doing is packaging sponsored links with advertising as basically a value add. We don't charge for it. We have to label them sponsored, but we don't charge money for it. We just basically say, if you take out an ad, we'll throw one of these in. And we've noticed that uh, we'll, a sponsored link will send anywhere between six to 25 to, I think our record is 50,000 clicks to a particular target site. And the advertisers we're dealing with just don't care how many people go to I me. Mean, they're happy about it, don't get me wrong, but they really aren't overly concerned with it as much as they're concerned about the fact that that link will be up on FARC's main page for 36 hours, and that's about 3 million pages. Yeah, right. So do you, they, I mean, when they're doing these test buys, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? Not no, not at all. In fact, it'll, it'll come and go. We've had test buys where I've never even seen the ad go by. Because it, well, it went up so quickly that, that you burn you burn through their impressions. Yeah, if somebody buys five thousand impressions, even if they all run them in the same day. Fark is getting like two million, so the odds of me seeing that are you know through the math, it's not very high. And so, uh, what, what they're quantifying a successful campaign on is a little bit of an unknown. Yeah, basically. I mean, it sounds like it's a combination of something that they're looking for and the effectiveness of the salespeople in convincing them that it actually worked. Like I said again, it's like it's completely bizarre to me because these argu- these arguments that I hear them, these sales pitches, I should say, that I hear them making are really based on nothing. Right. <laughs> and this isn't unique to the Maxim Group either. It's basically it's unique to the entire sales process at that level. Uh, it's just kind of mystifying. But that's why I don't do sales. And so you have your volume there. And so what would you say is of your advertising volume is um, CPM, and then and what do you fill out with uh, remnant inventory? We're probably still, uh, I'm to think, I'd say about like 80 to 90% remnant at this stage, uh, which I'm coming to find out is actually not uncommon, not that, not that that's that high, but you rarely will ever sell all your inventory out, so having your remnant backup is going to be pretty much a component in the entire time. I think half remnant is probably what most people are running on. Sites with a lot of traffic have difficulty filling, the, it's kind of a catch-22. It's great that you have all that traffic, but you also have a difficulty filling all your space up. Uh, so, you know, having remnant guys running is no big deal, provided it's quality remnant, and it is. Uh, like, for example, I've seen Blockbuster running in a remnant, uh, and actually Netflix, too, and you end up with some amusing situations where sometimes the code isn't tracking closely enough, and you'll have an app for Blockbuster and Netflix on the same page load at the same time. <laughs> and so um, how do you feel that? I mean, so you, you have Maxim running for your branded advertising. How do, who, who fills in all your remnant inventory? I forget who we're using. Uh, the problem in our case was finding somebody who could actually fill that many impressions because we have a lot as far as the industry goes. And the other problem is, is you want to make sure you're getting paid on them as well, something reasonable other than, you know, five cents per thousand or whatever. And I forget who it is we're using, but there's one company in particular, I don't even know where they're located, that manages to fill in about, I think we're getting just direct from them about 10 to 15 million views a month impressions. And then the rest backfills with Google AdSense, which does horrible on Park. So you're actually, for your remnant inventory, you're filling them up as well? Yes. But why would they have, why would they have issues with quantity, given that they, they, that, that's not CPM-based, that's CPA-based, right? Uh, but actually, the remnant that we're using is CPM-based. Uh, there are other, there's other remnant out there you can get that's all CPA, but the stuff that we're using is where it's the CPM-based remnant. They're, they're really rare in the field, basically. You don't see a lot of them around. And, and you use them because what, what kind of CPM do they pay? Uh, I don't know. It fluctuates around. I think the eCPM is something like, I don't know, I've got to be on speculating. It's like 35 to 50 cents or something like that, but I don't know. Hmm. 
And and why would you not just go and fill backfill it with uh, lots of CPA offers? Uh, because traditionally on FARC, and I don't know how this works on the rest of the internet, but traditionally on FARC, they perform badly. Uh, and I don't know if that's a function of our audience or what the deal is, but they've generally not worked, so we, we quit doing them. See, right now you have three stages then. You have um, your 10 to 20% of branded advertising that's being sold out for you by uh, Maxim, and then you have, um, I guess, another 70% that's being sold on a CPM basis at about 50 cents through the, the this network, which you're not sure who then what their name is, and yeah, actually it isn't seventy percent. It's like that seventy percent is a breakdown between those guys and Google AdSense, and I don't know what the ratio is of that. It, it changes month to month. And and then the last part is filled in by Google AdSense, and you just you yeah. And AdSense really really fails on FARC. Uh, I think it has to do with the fact that you know AdSense always tries to read a page and gauge you know the content of the page and then deliver ads accordingly. But the stuff we have up on FARC is so bizarre. And perverse that it can't figure it out. Like we just switched over to a new AdSense program that Federated Media actually is uh, is heading up, and, and now that we're about two months into it, even they are confused. And I warned them this would happen about how low the revenue is coming off of it. I mean, it's just it's bizarre. Nobody can figure it out, but I think it's uh, it maybe an unsolvable problem. Right? Why? I mean, why are you filling it in with AdSense? Why not fill it? Why not get a couple of gay networks to fill it in with with that rather than AdSense? I mean, the payout should be well, higher. We're doing a, we're doing a test run on it. Supposedly they've rejiggered the code and this works better, and so we're trying it for a few months. But you know, might so far no good, and uh, we may be interested in looking at something else long term. And have you tried any like the behavioral networks like Blue Lithium or Dakota? No, uh, I haven't tried any of those guys yet. I, I would suspect we might have the same problem. But again, you know, once this AdSense stuff goes down the tubes, uh, like I expected, well, we're probably looking again. Oh, so you, what well, you're actually going to have to drop AdSense? Well, we don't have to, but if it's not working, we'd be silly not to. What kind of CPMs do you get on AdSense? I don't know. It's horrible, though. I mean, it's only like a few thousand bucks a month. I know is what they're making through. And if you're, you know, considering the millions of pages you're getting, it should be enormously higher. Even Google is concerned about it, by the way. They called me in for a meeting about a year and a half ago down in San Francisco to talk about it because they couldn't figure it out. And so, I mean, what, the AdSense is running at like five cents CPM or something, is it? Or something. Yeah. The problem is, is that uh, it, you know, the ads that are running on FARC, I think, are either not relevant or not interesting. And since, at the end of the day, AdSense is actually based on a click-through, even though they try to deliver the money based on effective CPM. Effective. The word effective means not CPM. You know. So basically, uh, for whatever reason, they don't do well. And so, do you ever work with individual advertisers? I mean, let's say I've got an ad campaign that I want to run that I think could work. And, and maybe it even is a little bit too aggressive and you think it'll piss off your users, would you still take it? Or, like, where, where, how do you, or do you work with individual advertisers? What are the limits on, on who you will work with? Uh, what we do right now is we'll work with anybody, but in general now, the way that it's set up, if anybody comes to us individually, then we basically do the handoff to Maxim. I mean, we'll still work in liaison with it, like, because there's a number of advertisers, like Honda, for example, wanted to advertise on Park, but not Maxim Blender and stuff, for whatever reason. So, you know, we'll still work on that. But in general, um, there's a lot of, like, I'm probably uh, in favor of less intrusive ads than most websites are. For example, we don't do interstitials. We don't do pop-ups. I don't like floating ads either, the ones that kind of follow you around. But uh, somebody submitted one. It was a test one for Corona recently that I actually liked. Uh, what it was is you've got your uh, you've got your leaderboard across the top, and then you've got your 300 by 200 square rectangle ad kind of down below. And what it would do is it would run a, it ran an ad up at the top saying something like Corona rocks or, you know, it's great. In the 300 by 250, they had a martini glass or a uh, beer glass or something like that, and basically this hand would come down out of the top ad into the side and grab the, uh, the lime or the uh, olive, I forget what the hell it was, out of the glass and then pull it back away again. And I like that because it gets your attention. It doesn't last long enough to stay in the way, uh, and it's so uh, by, by virtue of that fact, it's pretty unobtrusive, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. But that's that's still like a branded advertising. What about an, an – I mean, you see on the social networks um, – they have lots of like the smileys campaigns and all that sort of stuff, and I don't know what. Yeah, yeah. But they, 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 the, the one must presume that they're performing at the highest effective CPM. Will you? Will you actually, even if it's going to, rather take Google AdSense at five cents CPM rather than um, smileys at fifty cents? Yeah, well, the problem is, is that they don't make that much money for us on our site. Like, I'm sure they probably do well for those guys, but when we run those ads, they, they just bomb. I mean, in fact, very early on, I forget what ad network it was, but it was a CPA-based ad network that we, uh, I forget, it was one of the big guys that got bought. It was like, it wasn't DoubleClick or ValueClick, but it's one of the, they're part of them now. 
uh, actually threw us off their network because we had record low CPM clicks on that. We were nobody was nobody was checking them out. It was so bad they actually accused us of not running the ad. But they were running on a CPA, weren't they? Or was it running on a CPM? No, they were running on a CPA, and they could track it. But they were accusing us of faking the uh, the data or something like that after a while because they said and, you know it just could not possibly be as low as it was. So let's say that I've met you somewhere. Let's say uh, we've met, we've had a dinner, and a nice conversation, all this kind of stuff. And I've got an offer that I think could work. Let's say it's how to how to make money playing poker or something like that. How do I get that to you and get that get you to run that on your site? Uh, we would basically then go ahead and uh, take that up to Maxim for a big ad buy. Uh, we have uh, classified ads though, which is probably a better test of uh, to see whether or not it'll actually work. Because my, my general experience has been that those things fail horribly on our site for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the readership or why. They tend to be smarter than the average bear, and they tend to recognize this stuff and ignore it immediately. So we've had pretty much little to, or to no success with that kind of thing. Um, and, and, I mean, let's say you're saying I take it to Maxim, but Maxim only wants to sell branded, branded advertising, and they've got... Um, Right, and that's how they'll charge for it. And basically what their argument will be is if it actually is going to make that much money on a CPA or CPC basis, then why not rip us off, pay a, what you would consider to be a lesser rate. For example, I had a guy, this isn't an exact example, but I had a guy, for example, that wanted to do a branded credit card with FARC, and he said something like, well, I'll spread the proceeds with you, and uh, you'll make $30,000 in a month. And I said, well, okay, how about this? How about you just give me five rather than spend the proceeds and you keep the rest, which is essentially the offer that Maxim makes back, and the guy refused to do it. And I, I always thought that was kind of weird because, to me, if there are huge payouts going on CPA and CPC basis, why not rip off the media client and go ahead and take their flat rate and then just keep the lion's share of the money rather than giving half of it away? So if someone comes to you, and, I mean, so you, you're generally – what you're generally doing when you forward them to Maxim then is you're saying, um, sorry, we're not interested in the CPA offer. But Maxim, Maxim right. is the one that's saying no. Is that right? Exactly. But if it is a good CPA offer, if it's high performing or whatnot, and it, is, it doesn't need to be highly targeted, then it would probably be to uh, someone's advantage to switch to a CPM model instead and keep more of the money because you can do uh, – it's basically you, you convert a percentage payout to a flat rate payout, and you should be able to make money on that in theory. Well, it depends on what the CPM is. and uh, But the, the typical yeah. offer like that is only going to work at a maximum of something like 50 cents. But that doesn't oh, sure, yeah. the CPM rate that you care about, or do you? Right. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. That's right on the border of me carrying and not carrying. So if I come to you with an offer, and let's say um, it is a CPA offer, and, but I, I really want to get it going, what if I come to you and I say, okay, Drew, here's $2,000. Can, can you can you give me a shot? Give me $2,000 worth of CPM on your site. Yep, probably so. so you, would, you would consider running something like that? Yep. And, and in that instance, you wouldn't refer me over to Maxim. You would take it yourself? Well, actually, contractually, we have to, so I would have to send it over to Maxim, no matter what. But they, they don't, you know, reject stuff. And so, if let's say Maximum then sends me, uh, so then I, I take my two grand and, and go and give it to Maxim. What uh, what kind of CPM rate are they going to give me for that? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. All right. Okay. So I mean, it's it's because it, they're probably going to be wanting at least a dollar or two, aren't they? Or, or is that not correct? I would think so, but yeah, I, I would be shocked if they, if they would mess with anything less than that. So what you, so essentially, you, you're really only spending any time on branded advertising, which you still give to Maxim. Uh, and right, because in, in, and if you if you think about it, the reason is because while we're not necessarily topping out yet, this is the only way we can top out yet. For example, uh, you know, at some point, like I was, I talked to, I met the guy who runs the fake Steve Jobs blog recently. And uh, we were talking about your stuff in general. And he asked me, he told me what his advertising deal was that Forbes was giving him and asked me he thought that he wasn't getting enough money, but it was actually phenomenal. I'm not going to disclose what it was just in case it's some kind of secret. I mean, for all I don't know if he wants me to tell people or not, but it was it was awesome. Like, I wish we could get that. And uh, But it has to do with the fact that you've got Forbes, who basically is charging, you know, 50 to $75 CPMs because they're a business outfit, and therefore their ads are highly targeted and towards, you know, financial companies, which have got large amounts of cash. In, in this business as a website, the only way you can hit your maximum revenue potential is by going the CPM route, and so at, at some point you just make the decision and go that way 100%. And so he, he, for example, he has no remnant inventory on his site? 
No, that guy uh, basically uh, he got. I think he got bought by Forbes or something rather, but he's getting revenue based off of uh, CPM stuff. And because Forbes is selling it so high, he's actually making great money for uh, what he's got. Right. With your with your inventory, do you switch networks a lot? Do you? I mean, do you do different things to monetize as a, a, a as a publisher side when when you see that things aren't performing, or or you just kind of let it run and not worry about it? Kind of let it run and not worry about it because at the end of the day, what's really going to make it is Maxim going out and selling high dollar CPMs and you know coming close to selling the entire site out, and that's the direction we're moving in. And I don't know if it's going to get there anytime soon or not, but that's where we want to be. So all the rest of this stuff is really just kind of superfluous. Right. But see, we're, we're unique in that respect. Like, I'm definitely not recommending that everybody who has a website go do this because, honestly, most can't. Uh, even high-volume sites can't do it. It, it. It's interesting to me also, too, knowing what I know about this because, you know, we've been working with an incredibly capable group of people for now a year and a half, and it took 15 months to get the first amount of traction. And I think that has interesting ramifications down the road for a lot of these Web 2.0 sites that are looking to be advertising-based as well because it takes a while to get going on this kind of stuff, and I don't think they realize it. So when you moved, did you, did you leave a lot of money behind when you went from Federated Media over to Maxim? Uh, not really. Uh, it was more uh, where where we really got hit was uh, back in early 2006, where basically we threw off all of our low-dollar ads. We had T-shirt companies and whatnot, and we basically stopped doing those kinds of ads because you can't convince an advertiser that they should be paying you know high CPM rates when they can obviously see that you've got garbage ads on your site that definitely didn't pay that much money. So you have to basically run no ads for a little while in order to get people to finally make that jump, and that hurt. Uh, the entire year of 2006 was a massive struggle because of that, but at the end of the, at the end it started paying off. So we we made it through, but it's that was that was rough. So you're, you're actually are, are you sure that's the case? I mean, when, when a a big brand advertiser looks at the site, if they see low dollar, low CT, low CPM type ads running on the site, they will actually say, "No, I'm not advertising here." I was told that was the case. I don't know that for sure. But anyway, now you're starting to get, I mean, even with your 10 or 20% filling in of, of your branded advertising, it's starting to work out. Yeah, because, you know, once you get to high-dollar CPMs, you don't need a whole lot of sales in order to match your previous revenue level. Right. Because it wasn't all that good to begin with. See, but, yeah, we're, we're in kind of a different spot, like I said, because we're, you know, if, if you had your own blog, for example, that's getting, you know, 50,000 page views a day or whatever, that's substantial, probably still not high enough to knock down any mainstream ads. Right. Now, what about um, other places where you can run advertising? For example, in your sign-up process, um, putting something like co-registration in there where um, people get asked, let's say when they're signing up, they get asked, are you interested in buying a new car? And yep. they their, their FARC registration that says, are you interested in buying a new car? And, and then if they say yes, that lead data is then sent to someone and sold for like a dollar or two a lead. Are you, are you, yep, and see, that's something we've been really remiss on as well. Uh, it's been on our to-do list for quite a while, but we got sidetracked with a number of other projects this year. If you, if you, and I suspect it works just because you've seen newspapers doing this. Um, that was the entire reason they wanted to have you to register on their site for articles in the first place, was not because they wanted to track you, but it was because they wanted you to fill out those surveys and they could sell that information. Uh, I was at a, uh, a, it was a managing editor's conference down in uh, Florida, uh, it was about four years ago now, I guess, where somebody actually asked the question, what's the value of the customer that comes and registers so that they can read the articles, but they click, don't contact me under any circumstances. And the value is zero, as it turns out. And so that's the reason registration was around. The reason it's going away now is because sites that did heavy registration saw that their traffic numbers dropped. And considering the way everything is going on the Internet, if your traffic numbers start dropping and you fall out of the top ten hunt, uh, on, you know, Comscore media metrics, you have just, you might as well just go ahead and set fire to the building you work in and walk away and leave and never come back because you're dead. So everything depends on what Comscore says and that's it. Pretty much, yeah. That's what they do. The mainstream advertisers pull the top 10 uh, numbers and they go from there and you can give them all kinds of numbers all day long, but at the end of the day, Comscore is what counts and they don't really care about anything else, which is why you're getting the interesting things happening. For example, uh, Major League Baseball, MLB.com, just filed a cease and desist against Comcast and Nielsen, claiming that their numbers were so wrong they were actually uh, being harmed by them. And I'm watching how this plays out because I'm considering doing exactly the same thing because we're in the same boat. If they don't track work numbers and they don't track uh, college numbers, then you know that's basically our that's ninety percent of our audience as well. 
And so maybe this Quantcast is a is a better solution where the stats are opened up. Uh, I think so, uh, but again, the problem is, is that at the end of the day, you can still end up fooling this stuff. And I think the reason that people like the uh, Comscore and Nielsen is because they spent literally years building arguments saying that their numbers are not only accurate but impossible to fake. Because you can't fake Comscore traffic. Well, I guess you can do it. Some you, there's there's a couple tricks you can do, but in general, it's very difficult to do. So, so you're saying that there really isn't any good solution to all of this. No, there actually isn't. Um, and what's funny is because at the end of the day, it still boils down to a sales pitch. Uh, so, for example, even though our Comscore numbers are abysmal and ridiculous, uh, we're still making sales, and that has to do with the sales pitch. I mean, the, the Comscore number is the slam dunk. If you end up on the top ten list and you can stay there, then you're fine. You've got nothing to worry about. You'll sell every ad pitch you ever make. So those guys uh, that, are, that are in top ten on Comscore, they're selling out 100% of their inventory, are they? They probably are. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me because, that, again, it's a no-brain thing. If you are a media buyer and you go back to your boss the other day and they ask you, where did you buy, even if they've never heard of the site, but they can say, yeah, well, they're, you know, they're ranked five on Comscore for you know, males age 18 to 35, well, you're not going to get fired for that, and that's why they uh, like it. It's a no-brainer. Hmm. So back to the, the co-registration lead generation stuff. Let's say I wanted leads from your site, and I, I was interested in people interested in buying a new car from FARC, and I came to you and said, hey, Drew, I, I want to get some of those. How, how do I get started on a deal with you on something like that? We currently don't track that information. Um, that's something that we're going to be doing here pretty soon. We have a list of uh, user profile enhancements that we want to put out there, and not only you know being able to track that, but you know also being able to allow people to participate if they want to. And uh, so I would look for that sometime. I don't know. Depends on when we can get on it, but sometime maybe like you know second quarter 2008. So right now that there's users don't register. The only place they register for is is Total Park. Is that right? Uh, well, they register for accounts to talk. Uh, there's about 370,000 registered accounts right now. That you know you have to have an account to make comments, but we don't use anything other than that. What about at the time when those accounts get started up? Can they can they say hey? Um, uh, can you ask them the I want a new car question then? No, and that's something we need to add. Right. So can you talk a little bit about, and I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll ask these questions and, you know, tell me if I'm out of line. Can you talk about where the, the revenue comes from on your site? Now you have Total Fark, which is a subscription service. You have CPM advertising through Maxim. You have uh, yep. CPM remnant inventory through the, the unknown person that does that. You have Google AdSense, and you also have the Google search bar, is that is that correct? Is there anything else that I'm missing? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And it's also interesting, too, that the uh, Google search revenue, while it was never good, uh, has been steadily dropping with the advent of the Google toolbar and the fact that it's, you know, now that there's the search bar on Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer, it's uh, going down. I mean, it was never a big deal for us anyways, but I don't know if there are any sites that rely on it heavily, but if they are, there are, they should probably rethink that. And you have a defaulting to when the people type in the search to search the web. Is that because you get paid for AdSense through that, or AdWords? No, it's because uh, it turns out that's what most people use it for. Uh, we tried to take that, but that, that section down a couple times, and both times we just got bombarded by email. Because people have actually, and this is weird because this is unusual in the sense that most sites this doesn't work. Uh, we have a lot of people, a, a, an enormous number of people who use FARC as their homepage. When they fire up a browser, it goes to FARC. And they want that search box there so they can treat it like Google. Rather than starting and having it go straight to Google and typing in stuff, it goes straight to FARC. And because we have that search button on there, then they keep their page on FARC as their homepage. Uh, if we remove that, then all of a sudden that, the usefulness of that stops and our traffic goes down. That is fascinating. Is, is, that, is that the reason why most sites end it that way or...? You know what? I don't know why most sites do it because I can't imagine that most sites are a, a prime uh, startup page destination. Uh, I think for, for, for just about anybody else, I don't think I could recommend it because I don't think anybody would use it, honestly. I mean, people are pretty much used to typing it into the browsers or whatnot. We just have a bunch of people that are used to doing it on FARC because they make it their homepage. And if you, know, if you happen to have a site that is a lot of people's homepage, then you want to have it up there, but otherwise you would probably not want to bother at all. Very cool. Um, all right, and so um, I guess the, the well, actually, but with the revenue streams, can you talk? Can you talk about like percentages of, of the numbers they generate? Like, uh, I don't actually know what they are, but I, I do know that the total fart money is enough to where and that basically carried us through 2006 when we had no advertising. So that's basically like our baseline keep the lights on money. So the rest of it actually does pretty well. It's just over the top stuff. All right. 
Would, would you? I mean, are we talking like ninety percent of it comes from your CPM advertising? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's lower than that. I'd have to check the numbers. All right, but you do have it. It's it's pretty much broken down over over across the entire site. I mean, so you have sort of three or four independent revenue streams. Yes, that's right. And I mean, that's really generally what you want to do in any business. You want to have as many revenue streams as possible. And then even ones that don't pay well. Right. And then there is there is obviously one other which we didn't talk about, and that is the the book. Yes. And um, do you want to talk a little bit about the book? I mean, that's that's obviously a new revenue stream for you, and the, the thinking behind it. And I mean, I've got I read it, and I thought it was very funny. Um, and your style of writing is very unusual, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. People say I, I write like I talk. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's an understatement. So it's like when you're car <laughs> and talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good read. I mean, so what was the thinking behind the book, and how is that uh, impacting the rest of you, what you're doing with the site? Well, well the, initial, the initial concept that the book people wanted me to do is they wanted me to do the funniest stories that ever been on FARC, but I couldn't get excited about that prospect because uh, I just didn't, didn't do anything for me. But I, I thought about media patterns and the ways that I saw this crap news coming into play and how the news uses it and what they use it for and when it comes, in a, when it comes online and when it doesn't. Uh, for example, anytime there's a major news event, all of a sudden the amount of crap news that we can find, because it's on Spark, that's what we're looking for, uh, drops considerably. Um, also happens at other times of the year. For example, the two worst weeks for garbage news are uh, the week before Labor Day and the week between Christmas and New Year's. And the reason for that, interestingly, is because nobody's working. Which is, again, the interesting part about that is that the flow of news goes down when there aren't any journalists around, and you think that would be kind of ass backwards, but it turns out that's the world we live in. So I worked on uh, finding a whole bunch of patterns that, uh, in order to try to classify all these uh, articles as, and came up with a number of them, uh, which uh, is, it's been interesting watching the reaction of journalists who read this because uh, they get, they, they really are kind of blown away by it because it, it pretty much nails it. Uh, they, uh, I actually had somebody, there was a gal locally here in Alexandria, Kentucky, who works for the local newspaper, who actually in one of her articles went and got excerpts out of her Journalism 101 textbook and put them right up next to the stuff I was saying, and it just matched perfectly. The only difference was is that I'm, I'm swearing a lot more, and uh, I'm questioning why people are doing it, as opposed to the Journalism 101 textbook, which just says, do this. I, I read the book and um, came away feeling like uh, I don't understand how I... Um, trusted the news at all. It's just... <laughs> it, it's all stuff that everybody... We've all noticed this stuff in the news, but we've never really thought about it that much. I mean, the only reason I have is because I do it all day long. But, you know, once you start paying attention to the patterns, you know, like the media fear-mongering, where they're just trying to scare the crap out of you, or seasonal articles that appear at the same time every year, every year, like clockwork, or, you know, talking to, you know, nut jobs who believe in Bigfoot and the moon landing and whatnot, or moon landing fake, rather. And, you know, you see all these articles that are basically just up there for filler, and it's interesting because it also allows you to then, one, you can educate yourself and say, okay, this is garbage news. I don't need to pay attention to this as closely as I was. For example, a lot of the stuff that I was saying actually meshed up a lot with uh, my friend Tim Ferriss' book, Four Hour Work Week which he wrote about basically his, his argument was is that you don't need to watch the news but once a day. And I told him probably not but once a week. Or uh, conversely, I told him, I said, you know, you don't even need to watch the news. Just wait until somebody says, hey, did you hear about such and such? And if it's of any interest to you, then go look it up. Don't sit in front of the news and sit there and wait for it to happen because in reality there isn't a whole lot of stuff going on that needs any attention whatsoever. So, so your, your comment is that you shouldn't watch the news like once a week or less. Yeah, you could certainly get away with it. I mean, as far as, like, what you would need to survive, probably not even that much. Um, it's really, news is just a different form of entertainment. Masquerading is something that they tell you you should actually be doing, but really isn't. So where, where, where in your opinion, is the most credible news source? Uh, that's a good question. In the States, uh, it's probably uh, a combination of NPR and the Christian Science Monitor. Those guys do a pretty good job. Um Internationally, uh, the BBC does pretty well, although they're starting to drift a little bit because uh, they've got consultants. They're trying to tell them how to capture the youth market, and unfortunately they're telling them to do things like make the BBC look more like Facebook, make the BBC have comments, which are completely pointless in my opinion because nobody really has anything interesting to add to conversation other than racist and nasty comments. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting to see whether or not they'll continue to maintain where they are, but uh, my my. my my gut feeling is they're probably going to start slipping here over time. 
And so the book is called It's Not News, It's Fuck, How, the, how Mass Media Tries to Pass Off Crap as News. Um, and one yeah. of the things I, I don't actually remember which chapters it was in, unfortunately, but um, it did help me understand a little bit more about your site and how it's working and, and just in general how your business works. Yes. You, you also included comments from a lot of your readers in the book. Did that uh, help encourage them to buy the book? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if anybody bought it because we quoted them first day because there's no index, so I don't know if they... I mean, somebody put an index together online. It wasn't me. Uh, but uh, I don't know if anybody bought it specifically because of that. The main reason was because um, uh, it, uh, there's not really... I, I'm not really trying to be serious, per se, when I make the point about them passing this stuff off. I'm trying to make the point, though, and the best way to do it is you make it funny, and a lot of the comments and the examples that we used were absolutely hysterical. For example, there was one in the... Uh, Media fearmongering articles we talked about was how uh, Kentucky is spending its homeland security dollars uh, on anything it can because we don't have a lot of homeland security issues being a landlocked state and I don't know that I've seen any terrorists driving around the back backcountry roads but uh, so they uh, they in order to you know keep this money they have to spend it every year and one year they spent their homeland security money on uh, simulating an attack on a, a goat fair. And uh, one of the comments that somebody put in there was, he said, I just said, I don't know about you guys, but I'll never forget the day that I saw that first goat slam into the World Trade Center. And I thought, you know what, that pretty much sums it up right there. Yeah, right. So how does the book fit into your overall strategy? You, you, I mean, when we've talked privately, you've talked about things like um, helping you gain more branding. Has, is it, that's, can you maybe explain that goal and, and how that works? How that's- yeah. One of the things you can do with the book is, uh, is to give you a better example that most of your uh, listeners would probably be able to key in better. Uh, look at what Robert Scoble's doing. I mean, basically all he's doing is, the guy has nothing to talk about. Everything that comes out of his mouth is generally garbage anyways. But he's able to key into the fact that news media will always give you time to talk about a book, no matter what the book is, even if they don't agree with you, because they're set up to do that. And so one of the things that the book allowed me to do is I think I did something like 250 radio interviews in the first four days that the book was out. Uh, which again is more, you know, FaceTime in front of an audience that hasn't necessarily heard about us, you know. Uh, then you can also, uh, if you're lucky enough, set yourself up as a media expert on this stuff. And I've actually been called in a couple times for national news shows to discuss, uh, usually what I call it in the media cycle, I call it, has the media gone too far, which is basically the last question anybody asks before they stop talking about something. Uh, anytime you see media covering itself, covering a story, you know they've completely run out of stuff. And they've started having me uh, call in and discuss the patterns basically what's happened and where they've gone wrong and all that kind of stuff. And again, that's just more promotion. Uh, having my face out in front of people, you know, talking about it. If people like what I have to say, but they've never heard about me or the website, then they'll go check it out in theory. And so it's basically just more part of the, uh, the publicity machine, basically. I, I mean, I remember reading that section in the book about has the, has the media gone too far and that that's the, the on cycle yeah. and any, and, and and uh, laughing seeing that because it's so right, but I'd never picked that as a pattern before. Yeah, we've all we've all noticed it. I mean, if you heard them talking about it, and usually they'll do it in, in particularly uh, ridiculous cases. Like for example, the the one I cited was when uh, Dick Cheney uh, had his hunting accident and shot a guy. That you know, eight days in, I was sitting in an airport watching CNN, wasting the entire morning talking about whether or not the media should be covering this stuff at all as opposed to other stuff. And you'll see them asking this question over and over again. And, uh, you know, as I say in the book, if you have to ask the question, has the media gone too far and you're the media, then you have gone too far. <laughs> and so the, the book then, it actually uh, gave you a reason to do more public relations. Yes, exactly. And plus, too, it's like, you know, there's, there are different facets to it. That wasn't the primary motivator, but it's one of those deals where because it's an available avenue, you take advantage of it. Um, it's also an additional revenue stream. I had a blast writing it. Uh, I'm probably going to do another one, not or in the same vein, but something slightly different. And uh, so, you know, it just leads on to other things. And so um, do you think then that uh, the book is also a big reason why your traffic is up? It, it, it certainly might be. Uh, I've noticed on Amazon uh, there's been a few reviews posted by people that have never heard of the book before, or heard of the website, rather. And I thought that was interesting because that was actually the whole point of doing it, is to try to capture an audience of people that don't haven't heard of FARC, which I think right now Maxim's uh, just off the cuff estimate is they think about two out of ten of all people in the United States have heard of FARC, which is good. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic, but it needs to be eight, not two. Um, do, you, do you have any sales numbers for the book? I, I think you mentioned it's been selling well. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, 25,000 copies in the first 12 weeks, which uh, I thought sucked, but they told me it was actually puts it in the top 1% of all books sold this year so far. So I guess uh, book sales are moving a lot slower than we all think they do. <laughs> with your branding strategy, I mean, a Maxim carrying the book in the meetings when they going to sell guys, or how, how that was? Yes, as, as a matter of fact, uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, we got a we got a, a box of 100 books, and anytime uh, we get call out on sales, we always take a couple and drop them off. It's it's very similar to what people do with you know brochures or you know uh, dossiers or you know whatever. I mean, people have got all this little material. You want to have. It's the same concept behind having your logo printed on a pen that you leave at somebody's office, except in my case, it's an entire book. Cool. Um, all right, well, that's everything that I can think of to ask you. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty much uh, hit everything. If something occurs to me, I'll uh, be sure to let you know. Cool. Well, Drew, thanks very much for your time. No problem. Thank you.